Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast, and Happy New Year's! It is now 2024, and yeah, we're back for year five. And so, yeah, 2023 was an incredible year for One Piece and to be a One Piece fan. And it's looking like 2024 will be shaping up to be a pretty awesome year as well. But yeah, let's get started. So, on this episode, we're going to be diving into episodes 468 through 470, which will cover manga chapters 559 through 561. And the Summit War is in full swing now, with massive battles and insane matchups taking place between huge characters. And so, yeah, let's go with the synopsis. With the war escalating, Luffy now has to make his way through a minefield of impossibly strong obstacles with top level Marines as well as the Shibukai to contend with. However, he does have some help in many ways. So, let's go over the differences.、Uh, the first one is while Hancock does think about the possibility of marriage in both the manga and the anime, the anime actually shows this whole sequence of her fantasizing about her marriage to Luffy, which is all exclusive to the anime. Or in the manga, you just kind of see her thinking about it and talking about it a little bit. The next difference is, is after slicing Luffy, Jinbei and Mihawk have a conversation about why Jinbei is helping Luffy. And this conversation actually doesn't take place in the manga. How it actually plays out in the manga is it instead cuts、um, directly to Mihawk trying to do a jumping stab on Luffy while he's trying to get up as he's kind of pushed up against the ice wall. The third difference is, is that there's an additional conversation between Hancock and Smoker, as well as she has a second fantasy、uh, about her and Luffy, and all of this is actually、uh, anime filler as well. And then the final difference. The, I guess, difference you can say is when Buggy gets the Muggy Ball reflected back at him from、um, Mihawk. In the anime, he kind of gets this short monologue before it explodes, but in the manga, he's just kind of dumbfounded and smiles as he's like accepted his fate in silence. I don't know which ones I prefer more. I think the manga does, it, it is pretty funny just looking at the face he makes because he's literally just like, Accepted the fact that he's going to die. <laughs> and he's got this like really wide eyed smile. <laughs> It's so funny. But I also do like the dialogue that they add with the monologue that he gets in the anime as well. I think it's nice that we actually have both versions. But yeah, that covers the differences. So let's get into the episodes. So hopping right back in, the, the first thing I want to mention is how kind of downplayed Gear Third's drawback is now, or at least how Oda treats it. So, when it was first introduced, Oda wrote Luffy into situations where that drawback of him going into that chibi form was treated as a legit problem that Luffy had to deal with. But now it's almost like he reverts back in no time at all. And it's for the most part a non issue, just as we see here at the beginning of episode 468. And I suppose, given where the series goes later on, you could kind of see that it, you could, I guess you could interpret this as him slowly getting better and better at using the gear third. And his body is starting to become more accustomed to getting big. So the drawback time of shrinking is, is less. But I do miss that dynamic of Luffy having to deal with the chibi form and seeing how funny that was, too. And you, you do kind of see this same pattern play out as the series goes on whenever, whenever he uses his gears. Like he does have a drawback that he has to deal with. Even with Gear 2, like it, it's a very draining. Um, form for him, and so 
he does have to const- constantly be careful about how using how to use that. But yeah, I feel like the Gear Third setback of becoming Chibi is kind of not a non-factor at this point, or at least Oda doesn't show us that it's an issue. It may be happening off screen, but we don't actually see it. Also, in the next scene, there's a bit of a translator's note that I wanted to discuss before moving on. So Ace, throughout all this, is struggling as he feels he doesn't deserve to have this many people put put their lives in danger for just him. And we'll talk more about this sentiment later on and where this is coming from. But one thing I wanted to point out here is the subtitles kind of mistranslation, I think, in the Crunchyroll version. So at the eight-minute mark where it's translated because I feel sorry for them, when he's looking on at everyone risking their lives to save him. So in Japanese, Ace says, which is in context more accurately translates to because I feel bad for causing everyone trouble. And while that's not quite a direct translation, that's kind of the sentiment that it's trying to get across. But the way it's translated in the subtitles makes it sound like he's pitying them which makes no sense here whatsoever. I feel like that completely misses the mark on the sentiment that Ace is trying to convey here, at least in Japanese. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to mention that. The next scene with Buggy and Whitebeard is honestly one of the more hilarious interactions in the series. Whitebeard is clearly using Buggy, knowing he has no chance of beating him, but the development of this entire conversation is freaking hilarious. From Buggy freaking out that he just unwittingly threatened Whitebeard without thinking for calling him Red Nose, then his followers needlessly antagonize Whitebeard, and then doubling down on the threat to then Buggy accepting his fate and just going with it. But then yet again, fate steps in and helps him fail upwards, with Whitebeard asking if they want to join forces, at least until the war is over. And my favorite moment is for sure the part where Buggy starts believing his own hype and Galdino reacts, this guy has completely lost grip on reality. <laughs> oh my god, I lost it when I, when I first saw this. And even to this day, when I rewatch and reread this scene, it's still hilarious. I mean, because Whitebeard is clearly a smart guy and he needs all the help he can get with the amount of forces that he has to get. And Buggy is a capable person person if not for just a distraction to draw some troops and uh some forces away from his own forces and so this is a good move by whitebeard but yeah this that whole scene is so funny though so the next part kind of explains my question from the last podcast episode and i completely forgot about this so my wondering from last podcast episode is kind of moot and I can't believe I forgot about this, but when Moria is faced with Luffy and Jinbei, in order to power up, he just literally grabs a bunch of marine soldiers and takes their shadows and stuffs them in him for a power up. And I still contend that it's weird that he had already pre-done this for several zombies and then had them pre-buried in that spot. But I love this interaction between the two, though, because it basically harkens back to Moria's main character flaw that we observed in Thriller Bark, how Moria just relies on others to prop him up. And Jimbe, seeing him boast about his shadow boost, immediately clocks this about Moria and tells him, quote, but getting stronger by taking other people's power doesn't make you any better, Moria. And even after his defeat to the Straw Hats, he still hasn't grown and is making the same mistakes, which is why in our first Shibukai on Shibukai fight, Jinbei absolutely demolishes Moria in one hit with his shark brick fist. 
And first off, this was so cool and satisfying to see Moria just completely one shot. Sure, he's not completely knocked out, but he's clearly no match for Jinbei. And secondly, this is a pretty eye opening moment in regards to the power levels in relation to each other, as it's pretty evident now that I think Moria is the weakest of the current Shibukai lineup, even including Crocodile. Also, when I see Jinbei deal with Moria so easily in comparison to Luffy fighting Moria, granted, there are a lot of qualifiers, like Moria had home field advantage on Thriller Bark. But the point still stands that Jinbei is an incredibly powerful ally to have at this moment. And then, thirdly, it's just awesome to see a Shibukai fight another Shibukai for the first time. Like, this is the first time we've really seen that. And it's pretty crazy to see, like, these boss level characters fight each other. And that's one of the, another thing that I love about Marineford. And these have been the, you know, the big bass bosses of the major arcs who seem nearly unstoppable in some cases and now they're fighting each other which is certainly hype seeing characters that you didn't think would be paired up but boy Oda was just getting started here as we see Smoker get his third crack at Luffy since Arabasta but even with Gear second he's still no match for Smoker and his Mokumoku fruit but then we get a matchup that I didn't even think about as none other than Boa Hancock comes in to save Luffy and she can actually hit Smoker since she can use Haki, which partially counteracts Logia fruit and invulnerability. One thing about this scene that some people bring up is why is Tashigi so shocked about this when Haki should be com a common occurrence when it comes to higher ups in the Marines? And, you know, with some of the more notorious pirates, y you gotta remember that. Tashigi has mostly been stationed in Logtown in East Blue, which on multiple occasions has been referred to as the weakest of the oceans. So it stands to reason that she's actually never encountered anyone who effectively can utilize Haki very well. And it's only been in the last few months or maybe even the last month since leaving for the Grand Line to chase Luffy it is when she's starting to see like these in increased power levels as well as the usage of Haki among all the New World people. At least that's how I'm choosing to interpret it. I also love how furious Hancock gets at the thought of someone hurting her beloved Luffy. <laughs> so so now we have Smoker versus Hancock, which is an insane matchup, especially since she can hit him. So this whole scene is, is amazing how they all think that Hancock is trying to put a spell on Luffy. But really, he's just excited that Hancock somehow managed to get Ace's handcuff keys. And she's brought, she's brought to her knees... Among, you know, from a strong embrace from Luffy in, in gratitude. <laughs> and this Hancock is so dumb. And, and it, it's it's kind of funny and ridiculous as she does her trademark looking down pose on Smoker. But everything about this character is so <laughs> amazing. And yeah, the next whole thing with Kuma is very strange as he doesn't seem to have any personality at all anymore. And I mean, he didn't have much to begin with, but he was still at least still acting like a person and he spoke. But here he seems like a completely mute and mindless robot like the pacifistas that were modeled after him. With Doflamingo saying that Kuma is dead, you start to wonder, did the world government do something to Kuma as punishment for effectively letting the Straw Hats escape Sabodi? And this clearly is the real Kuma since we did see him use his Niku Niku powers, but something does feel off and we do learn what's going on here from Doflamingo that he's been the experiment of Dr. Vegapunk 
But due to the final stage of that experiment, he's finally become a walking, unthinking killing machine, the PX0. But we don't know the full extent to what happened to Kuma here till we won't, and we won't know till another decade later. Just in, just in the last few months, in fact, it was finally revealed what happened to Kuma in this moment. And which is insane because this episode and this chapter premiered in, I think, 2009 and 2010. And so it's been about 13, 14 years. And we've just now learned. Uh, which is insane. But we do get another crazy matchup between Ivankov and Kuma. And despite how crazy Kuma is, Ivankov shows just how strong he is as well, which was actually really surprising as they hold their own against Kuma. And I was legitimately impressed by how strong Ivankov is. It was definitely something I was not expecting. Like, seriously, that galaxy wink attack is freaking nuts. And. And that's what this arc is all about. Just one insane thing after another with characters that are stronger than we could have ever dreamt up facing off against each other. And if these matchups weren't crazy, then we get this crazy interaction between Crocodile, Jozu, Doflamingo, and Whitebeard. And this moment is enough to send chills down your body as Doflamingo proposes that they team up to take on Whitebeard. Like, what is happening It almost becomes too much to deal with the hype and excitement as each new thing gets even more crazier. And getting over that initial hype, we see another example of how Jozu also uses Haki to just blast Crocodile with a tackle. And yeah, to these high level Yonko pirates, Haki just seems like a given. And it made me believe at the time that Luffy and the others will eventually need to learn how to utilize Haki, which, I mean, clearly it, Luffy does have the ability, at least he's shown Conqueror's Haki. But yeah, we'll see if he can start learning to harness it like these guys can. Also, we see Doflamingo is strong enough to even control someone as powerful as Jozu, who is a commander in the Whitebeard Pirates, which further builds up Doflamingo's notoriety and perceived power as well. The Marineford arc really does an amazing job of building up Doflamingo as this sort of sinister and powerful villain that I was sure that Luffy would eventually have to face in a later arc because I seriously doubted that, you know, doubted that that wasn't going to happen. But more importantly, we really start to get a sense of who Doflamingo really is. We can already tell that he's a cruel, sadistic, and most of all, a very conniving and manipulative person. However, if that still wasn't enough for you, Episode 469 ends on a, on the cliffhanger of Luffy's next obstacle, the strongest swordsman himself, freaking Mihawk, and Luffy remembers him all too well from his duel with Zoro on the Baratier. Like, Oda seri- was serious with this pitting Luffy up against Mihawk now, and the chapter title for the manga was so hyped too. So chapter 561 was simply titled Luffy vs. Mihawk. And when you read that, you're just like, oh my god, Luffy's gonna die. And of course, even Luffy is smart enough that he stands no chance against Mihawk. And even if he did, it would take up way too much time to defeat Mihawk. So he uses Gear Second to try and outrun him. And first off, Mihawk is too cool. When those random dudes foolishly try to attack him he's like i don't even remember bugs that i've squashed it before and then he nails luffy from range through a crowd of people and like i mentioned in the differences section we get a a filler interaction between two shibukai again 
with Mihawk and Jinbei, where Mihawk comes out on top this time. And at this point, I'm convinced that Mihawk is clearly the strongest Jibukai. And if he actually had more ambition, he could probably be easily a Yonko level pirate since he's on Shanks' level in terms of strength. And obviously, we'll go on to later realize that it's not just strength that basically makes a Yonko. There is a lot more to being a Yonko pirate. But as far as like sheer raw power, Mihawk definitely can stand toe to toe with some of those Yonko pirates. But yeah, I think for him though, he's just kind of. He has no ambition for that. His ambition was to become the greatest swordsman, and he basically achieved it. And now he's just bored with life, though. He's kind of like Saitama from One Punch Man. <laughs> and yeah, I don't really want to get too much into it here, but when we get more revealed about Mihawk, I do kind of want to talk about his character and his story a bit more in detail. He then goes back on the offensive, and a very interesting moment happens with Luffy here. He reads the situation in an instant. And decides that if he attacks with his Gomu Gomu no Bazooka, that it would result in his arms being chopped off. And instead cancels the attack by smartly slamming his hands down into the ground instead. Which which was really cool. And again shows off how smart Luffy is in terms of combat. But this moment, the way it's presented has been hotly debated among fans as to what actually happened here. Because we've never seen Luffy's inner thoughts during a fight or him being able to predict attacks. And so... Many people have wondered, like, is this Luffy predicting the future? Or was this Mihawk projecting some sort of fear in him that made Luffy scared about this potential future? Or was this more of a stylistic visual decision that Oda made to sort of make it clear to us the reason why Luffy wanted to cancel his attack? I will go into this a little bit more in the spoiler section because there is a little bit more here to discuss given later developments. Anyways... Just for good measure though, Mihawk in an effort to kill Luffy, he misses and slices off a massive, and I mean massive mountain-sized portion of the tsunami iceberg that Aokiji made. And what's interesting is despite trying to kill him, you almost get the sense that Mihawk is looking for something in Luffy and is testing him almost as if he's trying to confirm his initial intrigue in him and Zoro at the Baratia as well as what Shanks saw in this weird kid. Like he's trying to kill Luffy but not out of bloodlust or malice, more so from like a pragmatic experimental way if that makes any sense. Like he's seeing what Luffy is actually made of and he, if he dies then that's the extent of who Luffy was in his eyes. But yet again, Luffy is the king of creativity and improvisation in combat as he sees Buggy and grabs him and uses him as a human shield, knowing that Mihawk can't actually cut through him. And thankfully though, Marco orders Vista to help out Luffy and he finally gets his chance to test his skills. But this is where one of my absolute favorite moments from the series, and I mean the entire series, and from this arc, because we finally get someone noticing and putting into words what we've all witnessed throughout the series. And this is something that I've also mentioned a, a great number of times throughout this podcast as well, is Luffy's greatest skill isn't his devil fruit. It's not his super physical strength or his fighting prowess. It's Luffy's ability to gain trust and rally people around him. And when Mihawk puts it together that Luffy is the most formidable and dangerous person on the world or in this world, Due to this ability to gather allies, it's like an incredible validation, especially coming from Mihawk, who Oda has expertly over the last interaction used it to even more legitimize Mihawk's opinion by showing just how strong and well-respected he is. 
It's another example of how good Oda is at writing and storytelling. He not only never wastes pages or lines, he's very efficient at having certain moments do two or maybe even three things to progress story, characters, or themes within his stories. And it's pretty incredible seeing all this come together in this really profound moment about Luffy's character. And this, this sentiment, not, it, it's pretty prevalent here, but it more than enough galvanizes later on in this arc as we see more and more people coming to Luffy's aid as he tries to get to Ace. And it's a really cool thing to see this play out for the rest of the arc and for the rest of the series for that matter. But yeah, these episodes end with a cliffhanger that the tide is about to turn again in the favor of the Marines with an army of pacifistas led by Sentomaru taking out the ships from behind and effectively cutting off the pirates' escape route, leaving them to have to push forward. But we will talk about that in the next podcast. But yeah, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast if you want updates on when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection. Check those out. And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. And yeah, thank you so much for all the support last year. And I will hope that you continue to support me throughout this year as well. But we will have a spoiler section, so stay tuned for that. But if you're not interested in that, stay safe out there. And I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. Alrighty, so spoiler section. And yeah, the first thing I want to talk about is, oh my god, hearing Ivankov yelling at Kuma, did you forget my face? And I know I talked about this earlier, but this question hurts so much now that we know that they've been lifelong friends. And we see in chapter 1096 where Kuma says he will never forget him after escaping the horrors of God Valley. And God, this hits so much harder Rewatching this scene with the context of Kuma's backstory now that we've seen in its entirety in um whatchamacallit in, in the manga. And God, it, it that that flashback is probably one of the most brutal and heartbreaking ones in the entire series. And to see what Kuma has become and in Ivankov. No, especially with Ivankov not knowing what's been happening with Kuma over the last five years since he's been stuck in Impel Down, it just makes it even harder for Ivankov to not understand what is happening with Kuma. This once like great friend and a kind person just reduced to this killing machine. And yeah, and the fact that they made a promise that he would never forget his him or his face and here... Kuma doesn't recognize Ivankov. It's got to be really hard for Ivankov. And you see him struggle to figure out what is happening. And he's like trying to restrain himself not to attack him until finally he's left no choice. And he just goes all out and does the galaxy wink on him. Yeah, it's a, it's a, pretty, it, it's a pretty hard scene to watch now knowing what the extent of their relationship was in the past. And so the the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about is the uh the debate around what actually happened when Luffy like saw his arms getting chopped off by Mihawk. And many people have debated whether this scene was Luffy using 
future sight and his observation hockey against Mihawk inadvertently, but I don't think so. I don't think that that's what's happening here because, I mean, we see in his fight against Katakuri like how difficult and how sort of in con- like how concentrated he has to be to be able to use future sight. And he's clearly not like focused at all here. He he his mind is all over the place and and panicking about Ace, you know, getting executed. And so I don't think this was a, a an an issue of whether he was using observation hockey or future sight. I think this is more just Oda's sort of visual artistic choice to convey that Mihawk basically intimidated Luffy into not attacking him because I think Mihawk is using a bit of his haki and it's overpowering Luffy and Luffy basically realized that if he attacked he would get his arms sliced off and in order to really show that since Oda rarely ever actually like gives us an insight into Luffy's head like we don't ever get to see Luffy sort of just like thinking to himself during a fight like like you see that in a lot of other anime like you see it in like Naruto and in Bleach in My Hero Academia you know you even hear it a lot in um, Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba like Tanjiro really likes to think in his head but you don't really get to see that in Luffy and I think that's a very interesting choice by uh, by Oda and so I don't think he wanted to sort of introduce a moment where Luffy's like reflecting and thinking to himself on in the heat of battle. And so in order to quickly visually easily convey this, you just have Luffy kind of imagine what would happen because Mihawk is giving off so much sort of intimidation and, and hockey willpower against Luffy. And it's kind of overwhelming him, overwhelming him. At least that's kind of how I interpret that scene. I don't think it has to do with Luffy using Haki. I do think Mihawk is using Haki, though. I think he's definitely intimidating Luffy with his willpower and Haki. And clearly Luffy's Haki is not quite as as strong as Mihawk's at this point. Uh, I think inherently Luffy has more Haki than Mihawk. And currently in the story, I think Luffy clearly has more... Or not clearly, but I think Luffy is definitely capable of withstanding Mihawk's intimidation uh, with his Haki. But especially now that Luffy has control over his conqueror's Haki. And so, yeah, I, I just don't think that this was a moment where, you know, he was using Future Sight years before he ever actually learned it against his fight uh, on Whole Cake Island. But yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. Thanks for sticking around, and I hope to see you on the next episode. See ya! See ya!